You're a hardcore MMA fan, deep in the weeds. You want to keep a finger on the pulse, but there's so many distractions and things to follow that it makes your head spin. Hey Matt, you like Grand Prix tournaments, right? Hell yeah, I do. It's a shame the UFC never does them. It really is. You know what? Wouldn't it be weird if, like, the UFC did a tournament and then never told anybody about it? Be pretty excited if that was the case. You know what? Why don't we talk about that? It's time to take a look at the fighting handbook. Join in the action of this road to UFC. This fight is a strange bucket of muscles. It's one of those fight night pick specials. Antonio Hoyer reminds me of this one blind date I was on. There's levels to these. So both and then he got knocked up. unconscious this last next fight. And then I showed up, and her friend was kind of like Antonio Ahoyo. Much more disappointing than the initial sales pitch. It's a pop popcorn fight for me. So keep it locked in with fighting picks we always say. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. And welcome to the Fighting Handbook with Fight Night Picks. We're talking about, you saw it, Matt opened it on the couch, the road to UFC. As always, Matt Allen FNP, Craig Allen FNP. And this is a different show from Fight Night Picks because we're kind of opening it up and doing a bit of a deep dive on a subject that apparently many UFC and MMA fans are unaware of. And when we're talking about a fighting handbook and wanting to do the deep dive and wanting to give you fans a little bit of a hardcore look, even for a casual, and listen, casual MMA fans, it's a bad word on the subreddits. It's a bad word out there on Twitter. But for us, it's not a bad word with Fight Night Picks. I gotta be honest, you could be one of the most hardcores out there. There's still a good chance that you haven't really been following along with this show, if I'm being honest. Like, I've watched every single UFC event for years now. Never watched Road to the UFC until we started doing this show. So, it is one of those shows that definitely has gone under the radar. But like with a lot of these prospect building shows, it is nice to see the finished product. And luckily, that is what we're going to get on the next UFC broadcast. A lot of these tournaments do have their finales. I guess all four of them do for the next UFC card. So, it should be really interesting. That is a very big platform because Derek Lewis might not be in the prime of his career right now. I think that's something we can all agree on. He's still one of the most famous fighters in the UFC and I think fighting on one of his cards is still going to be a big bright spot for a lot of these fighters making their debut into the UFC. But the look with the fighting handbook, if you were completely unaware of the Road to UFC tournament, this is something that kicked off back in June and it was held two days before UFC 275. A total of four different cards in short order with a lot of different prospects. It's flyweight all the way up to lightweight that's represented but this isn't the first road to UFC tournament that's been done by the UFC and it's a little bit like watching a sitcom in the 90s produced and created and starring Dana White and if you watch the road to UFC in 2015 it was road to UFC Japan the finals it was UFC Fight Night Barnett versus Roy Nelson and in that finals a decision win for Josh Barnett he earned a performance bonus out of a decision win over there. breaks off, to be fair. But if you go back and you watch that season, the Japanese season was completely different. It was Japan's version of The Ultimate Fighter. There was a, a an entire show, it, a cast set around it, interviews. The fighters didn't necessarily live in the dorms. It felt but, like they were trying to set up kind of The Ultimate Fighter Brazil Part 2 in Japan. It had a very similar feel to the other spinoffs that they've attempted to do with The Ultimate Fighter. And if you go back and you watch it, even in the first episode, they're sitting in like a cage there's fans outside and the two Japanese hosts with English subtitles say and there's some wild claims that listen like it exceeds the NBA and what exceeds the NBA the UFC exceeds the NBA they're all over it but out of that season eight featherweights competed and uh 
It was a bad season. Six of seven fights ended up going to decision. The finals ended up in a draw. Mizuto Hirota ended up in the UFC. Truto Ishihara in the UFC. And Ishihara went three and five. Hirota went one and three. That has to be said. That was something I was going to say for a little bit later. But even in recent seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, it's really difficult to judge these prospects so early on in their careers, especially these guys who haven't even really made the transition to the UFC just yet. So the format of Road to UFC Japan was much like he said. It was much like The Ultimate Fighter meets, you know, kind of an outreach, so to speak. Like, it wasn't really based in the States, but at the same time, the fights were in Vegas. But then they end up in Japan at the very end, and the talent pool wasn't the greatest and the guys didn't really have lasting power i mean for turto ishihara even going three and five like he fought Piotr yan he fought artem lobov Big matchups he didn't beat either of them. he fought gray maynard and for uh, mizuto hirota he wins his first fight and then he loses to guys like volkanovsky and the like but when you look at the japanese show it was catered to the market in japan they had a big outreach of support they had a whole cast and crew and the finals were set in Japan. And for this season coming out for 2022-23, as I said, I mean, UFC 275, so they're already going to Singapore. Two days before, four shows in quick succession. And then you look at it, four months removed from that, they had the semifinals. So quarterfinals in Singapore, semifinals in Abu Dhabi a day after UFC 281. You have the fights there. And then the finals for the season are supposed to be centered around a card with the Korean Zombie in Seoul, South Korea. But it's announced in December that the Korean zombie hurt his elbow. Really unfortunate. They, yeah. under the kind of radar, moved the entire card from South Korea to the States. But folks don't even know. They just go, oh, Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak. That was rebooked. That one's going to be in Vegas. And oh, the prelims of this card start at 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night. And they finish up on Sunday morning. So it's an event that spans two days for North American fans. And most North American fans that found this out on Twitter said, Oh, well now we get to kind of feel like European fans. Nobody has any idea that this is based around the fighters that are representing mostly Asia that are taking part on this card and in these finals. And I wonder if that is because it's harder to promote these fighters without kind of going into the show that they had done in the previous season. Because it does feel like the UFC is moving more towards more of the fights, more of the fights, less of the talk between the coaches, less of those cutaways. And that is interesting because the ultimate fighter keeps on coming back, but they do seem to be going away from that format. Now, there is kind of a double-edged sword to that because it is much easier to consume the fights in a style like that. You can just sit down, watch basically five fights, just boom, 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 boom. It's all done. You get a very good feel for the fighters. But in a sense, it is a lot more difficult to promote these fighters all of a sudden because we do get much less of a sense of who they are as a person. And it really is weird. So folks, if you didn't watch the show, and I know, again, a large percentage of the YouTube community didn't, a very small vocal percentage when I put it out there on Twitter, they responded, said that they really enjoyed it. But the weirdest part about this is it very much was a season of a mashup where Dana White's Contender Series has worked for us in the States. The Ultimate Fighters kind of work for us worldwide. So again, it starts off quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, all the way from flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight. But if you look at every single episode and if you look at every single card, you're going to notice that certain cards have five fights. And one fight isn't a quarterfinal fight. And even in episode number one, you start off the show with a light heavyweight bout between Zhang Minyang taking on George Tacos. Minyang finishes him, and then all of a sudden he signed to the UFC and he's going to fight Tyson Pedro. Now, Zhang Minyang is out of that exactly. fight, and it just so happens that Modestus Bukowski is back. back, and he's going to take on Tyson Pedro. But overall, this season, it was just turn and burn. Listen, yeah, John Gooden finally back on the microphone. Laura Sanko commentating over these fights. 
But it was like Dana White's Contender Series meets a tournament format. And again, UFC fans know tournaments. They've known Road to UFC Japan. They've known... Well, all the early UFCs between Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie and... Legendary stuff. Art Jimerson. Again, you know and love that. But when we focus on the season, Matt, I know, again, we're excited about a lot of these prospects, but it really felt like Dana White's Contender Series overseas. It does, and I enjoy that a lot. But again... it does short-side the fighters to a certain degree, and that is the unfortunate part about this. Again, as a consumer, I do enjoy the fact that I can just sit there and go through all these fights. You don't really have to worry about the other stuff, but these fighters would have a much bigger opportunity, I feel like, especially on the upcoming cards, if they were able to showcase the personalities a little bit. So hopefully the UFC does continue to promote this quite heavily leading up to the finale, of course. And if you look at just the finale, you touched on it. Spivak versus Lewis in the main event. It is rebooked, but overall on this card coming up, the next Saturday, 12 fights, 8 UFC fights that you're going to find. So you know those 16 fighters. But 6 Korean fighters in total on the entire card. 4 Japanese fighters. So that is something to look forward to. That presence of Asian MMA. And we absolutely love it. JMMA is completely underrepresented on the biggest stage. But if we look at some of the fights, Matt, and we consider it, again, flyweight going up to lightweight. At flyweight, Hyun Sung Park taking on Sung Guk Choi. Matt, these two guys at flyweight, I think when I look at all of these, it's a shame that these guys lead them off and they're going flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, and lightweight because... These guys at Flyweight are probably the most UFC ready out of anybody. I think it's going to be a really entertaining matchup because the thing about Park is I loved how well-rounded his game plan seems to be. His whole skill set is he can threaten you on the ground with submissions. He is a dangerous fighter on the feet, but as we saw throughout the season, he can get cracked if he gets a little bit overzealous. But again, I just love the entirety of his skill set. But that's the thing. He has a very, uh, it's a mature game, but almost maybe kind of a rookie mindset still. So it will be interesting to see if he will ever be able to put those two things together because We sit here and talk about probably 15 fighters every year where their ceiling could be, okay, maybe top five is a bit of an exaggeration, but you get the idea. They could be a ranked fighter in the next year or two, but they can never really put together those final few pieces of the puzzle. But I do feel like with Park, if he can get the mental and the physical side of his games together, he could be a dangerous fighter moving forward in a wide open weight class too. Park has a really well-rounded game plan. And then for Choi, again, well-roundedness, maybe not so much. He does like to go for a lot of takedowns, but he is a Korean zombie MMA protege. And if you see him winning on the regional scene you see him going out there and getting finishes he runs over to the side of the cage there's tkz they kind of feel each other through the cage so it is a little bit awkward that way but a good fight there you move it up you look at bantamweight and this is probably like the shining star of the season you have rinya nakamura who's 6-0 as a pro taking on toshiomi kazama i mean he's an ibjjf champion over in asia 20 what is it 2018 2019 But for Nakamura, I mean, this guy, 2017 under 23, 61 kg wrestling champion, world wrestling champion. You talk about athleticism and a guy that's bodied up in Nakamura. And I know on the season, he's going out there and finishing guys. He's looking crazy. And then you look at a guy like Kazama. Look at that submission chicken wing that he was able to get. That was absolutely crazy. But with his hands, with his kicks, he's an absolute finisher to the nth degree. And when he went from being such a good wrestler in 2017, Pinnacle 2018, he goes to the World Championships and Japan places third because it's a national championship type of tournament that they had in Iowa. It's got to be something going from Japan over to Iowa. Like just... (sighs) A lot of corn, a lot of slow pace of living. Did Robbie Lawler make an appearance? Robbie Lawler, Iowa. 
Robbie Lawler, I mean, Militich Fighting Systems was there. I mean, but when you do look at it for Nakamura, such a fun fighter. But Kazam is one of those guys with his jiu-jitsu that if he gets into just a wrestling match, the jiu-jitsu makes it a really fun fight. He's got his work cut out for him, though. Like you said, Nakamura might be the most promising prospect in this whole entire season. And if we are doing this by skill-wise, he probably should be the main event of the tournament, if you get what I mean. Because if he can combine his wrestling and the threat of his striking with his wrestling together, I could see him going very far, but the Bantamweight division is one of the divisions we talk about being not only one of the most deep, but it's very top-heavy too. Everybody in the top 15 can wrestle, everybody in the top 15 can strike, everybody's good at grappling, so it's a very difficult division to break through, but he is kind of the biggest prospect or the biggest talent and on this card. you use the perfect word, you said deep, and I mean, JMMA fans, they're gonna know the deep promotion, but for Nakamura... I mean, his father was a part of the original Shuto, and he really got it going way back Very when impressive. in the 90s. So a great fight right there. And for Nakamura in his fights that were on the season of Road to UFC, minus 800 favorite in his first fight, minus 580 favorite. So he definitely is the runaway success of the season. He is going to be compared to kind of like the Bo Nickel going into this, kind of, with the threat of the wrestling, with the power that he has shown on the feet. I'm not saying they're the same level of prospect, but I think you can make some of those comparisons. Yeah, have a look at Featherweight, and this is where it gets really weird, because we have a fighter in Yi Jia taking on Zhang Yong Lee, and if you look at it for Lee, I mean, this guy's a former Road FC champion, and he took about three years off to refine his craft. I reached out to friend of the show, JHK MMA, and he let me in on that because I thought he took three years off from 2019 to 2022. Maybe it was mandatory military service, but he let me know that when when Lee was 19, that's when he kind of finished his military obligations. This guy is so good at MMA. His power is wild. His right hand, it cracks. But the best part about Lee is he's kind of a brawler too. And he has fight of the night style fights, whether it was with Road FC or whether it was with Road to the UFC. It's definitely brawling, but it's that style of technical brawling that basically any MMA fan can get behind. I'm not going to say like a John Lineker perhaps because Lee is more refined he's, with his technique. Yeah. He is a much, much more upright like you were going to say, but he does a great job leading with his right hand. He doesn't really have to set it up with a lot of different strikes. It reminds me a little bit of a guy who has a lot of hype behind him right now, Jack Della Maddalena. I think there are some similarities between their games just in terms of they are willing to get into a brawl, but once they get into that brawl, they have a good or a good sense of slipping those big shots, landing their own big power shots. I'm very excited for him moving forward because I love the way he's able to throw combinations. Seems to be extremely durable too, and that's going to be important moving forward. If he's going to continue to fight like this, guys in the UFC are going to start to crack you at a certain point, but up until this point, his power's been great, his durability's been good, his own technique has really been able to shine through as well. Yeah, I always hate to do it, but to make the national comparison with him and a guy like Sting Sungwoo Choi, I mean, Sungwoo Choi really tall, really high guard, willing to get into a brawl. You get knocked out by Mike Trezano in the UFC. says, hey, Mike, good win. Yeah, See you later, weird. Mike. We don't need you anymore. But a big-time fight. And for Yi Zha, this is a guy coming out of WLF Wars. And when there's prospects coming out of that organization, I always think to myself... They feed them not to the wolves. They feed them to what? Like, what's what's the, the worst animal that's out there on the planet, Matt? I don't know. I, I, wolverines have always been kind of freaky to me. I'm not going to lie. Anything that lives in the ocean. Here's a little bit of insight. Anything that lives in the ocean is like the scary. No, I want the made. polar opposite of that. What's the uh, animal that's alive? Koalas are kind of lame. Yeah, koalas or a sloth. They're slow. I know everybody loves them. It's a hipster thing, but... For Yuja and for prospects that come out of WLF Wars, like, they feed them to the the sloths. Because a lot of the fighters that you take on, you build up your record, 
And for Yi Zhao, he was 19-3 and coming into Road to UFC. At one point, he was WLF Force featherweight champ. And all of a sudden, he's a big underdog in his debut. And the, the odds makers didn't really respect him because he hadn't fought a good level of competition. And, May we yep. say this, though, for Yizha, he does have a lot of experience. And while you yep. are right, it isn't against a high level of competition, those rounds I do think matter at a certain point. Now, maybe against some of the better fighters, it won't really matter, but I do think against other prospects, just being in there a lot and having that kind of cage sense, if you will, is going to pay off at a certain point, I think. Well, and for him, coming out of China, he trains with Rongju and Sumaderji, two guys that had WLF Wars experience, but the combined opponent record for Yizha, again, he came in... 19 and 3 it was 145 114 and 14 and if you take out the guys that beat him out of just Yizha's wins it was 102 89 and 14 so not really the greatest level of competition but good wins that he had he had that split decision win where oddly enough kind of the judges sided more with his opponent but they did like i know he got the split decision win but when you break it down round for round it was weird but he can go out there and wrestle his striking's kind of like all or nothing. He it tends is. to strike and then pull right back and hold a guard like when you're on UFC 4 and you pull back and you kind of move around and shell up. But at 145, two very exciting fighters. That should be a good fight. Both guys are really well-rounded. When you look up at the lightweight fight, and this is the lightweight title fight, it ends the tournament championships. These two guys are probably the biggest head-scratchers of them exactly. all. And you have uh, Anshul Jubilee. He's 6-0 as a pro, 13-0 as an amateur, taking on... A really interesting fighter in Jekka Saragi, who's 13 and 2. Saragi was like an alternate and a short notice call up to the season. Son of a can this guy bang? Like, Saragi is one of the most fun fighters. And when you consider both of these fighters, when you look at Jubilee, when you look at Saragi, both of these guys come from underrepresented MMA countries and you have you indonesia you have india and i know one championship when you had arjan singh buller winning their championships they said this is the first indian mma champion that's really broken through he's a bc boy and yes. they like to kind of play off it that way but when you look at it for indonesia they've had some fighters even with one championship kind of make a mark but nobody really cracking through to that next level so saragi taking on jubilee and i listened to it for jubilee because i thought okay he's undefeated as a pro undefeated as an amateur he did an interview with all-star mma with jhk who's done a damn good job yes. with the ufc stuff and his quotable was my background was in street fighting or my background was a street fighting background and when i watch him fight i think yeah i can believe it he has a massive size advantage in this too, and I think that should be important. He's really tall, but he's got the Artem Lobov hands. No offense he to him. Like, being he's a six foot tall lightweight against six a foot five nine. Sixty nine inch reach. It is a unique build. Don't get me wrong. I just think that size advantage is going to matter at a certain point because if he is able to wear on his opponent and have. I never thought I'd use this term as a compliment, but you are right. Kind of have that Hurtum Lobov game plan to where it's a little herky-jerky, but in all the right ways. Like, almost like Paul Pierce said he was really good. I think he could have some success. I do think that size advantage is going to play a factor in this main event, if you will, in the lightweight division. But this is probably the closest, I would say, of the finales. I do think this is very tightly matched compared to some of the other ones where there does seem to be a more heavy favorite. And if you do look at it for Jekka Saragi, the first fight that he had in the season, he fought a guy in Pawan Man and Pawan hadn't fought a lightweight in years. He was a welterweight and he was a big guy. And Saragi was able to go out there, finish him very quickly. He had the spinning fist knockout in that He's one speedy. as it went on. He's a very, very good striker. And if you do consider it, 15 pro fights, he's 13 and 2. One's gone to a decision. And I mean, his jiu jitsu's good, his striking's really good. And if you look at it for his opponent in Jubilee, he's training at a Soma fight club that's in 
Indonesia. So the fighter out of India training in Indonesia, the fighter out of Indonesia looking to break through. And it really is interesting. So when we consider it, the Fight Night Picks, the Fighting Handbook, we're talking Road to the UFC. Hopefully this gave you a better look into the finals of this tournament. If you look at the overall card that's headlined by Lewis versus Spivak, there's names that you know and love. There's some really good Japanese prospects Tatsuro. in Tatsuro Taira and Yusaku Kinoshita. I've been so but impressed. The return of the Korean Superboy, Duho Choi, taking on the monster out of Ontario, Kyle Nelson. The co-main event, Daun Jung taking on Devin Clark. It's a card that's going to fly under the radar. It's really late Saturday night, Sunday morning, but it's one of those ones where the thing that steals the show is the fact that you have a tournament championship exactly. on the prelims, and the last road to, it was UFC Japan, they actually featured as the curtain jerker. It was the first fight on the main card. That was Barnett versus Nelson, but I know, again, we've kind of hyped ourselves up to get ready for this tournament. I really do believe they should do all of the tournament finales right before the main event. If yeah. you want to have a main I, event, that's fine, but I've always felt like that's the way to do it. Like, when Justin Gaethje fought Michael Johnson, that was the finale for an Ultimate Fighter, so you do all all of the finales, or the two finales, I guess, in the Ultimate Fighter's case, you do those, the co-main event, the fight right before that, you give them their just due, you give them their spotlight, and then you lead into a main event that's probably going to be like fight of the night, fight of the year caliber type of stuff. I always felt like that was the best way to really give these prospects their just due, and especially in this case, because like we mentioned, they didn't really get the ultimate fighter ability to have those cutaway interviews so that you can kind of get a feel for their personality, so it would be nice to see that featured a little bit higher on the card, but this has to be said too, Marcin Nabor versus Blagoy Ivanov could have been a main event three years ago. So I do think this is one of those cards where, like you said, it's on at a weird time. It might not be the deepest card in the world, and it might feature a lot of fighters that you don't know yet in their MMA careers, but I think it's going to be a fun card once it's said and done. A lot of, as we say, B-dub-dubs facts that you can take away, tell your casual friends that you learned something or two, and you know why this card's going to be so late at night. Make sure you check out Fight Night Picks, the Fighting Handbook. We're going to be doing videos like this moving forward, talking about PFL, Bellator, Ryzen, whether it's Road to One or UFC. There's so many different things in MMA that we just don't get the chance to talk about in this kind of depth. We're really looking forward to the card headlined okay. by Lewis versus Spivak. Make sure you check out the previews, the predictions, when they're available. You can always find us at Craig Allen FMP, at Matt Allen FMP, and at Fight Night Picks, Instagram and Twitter. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, and as we always say, let's get into it.